You're listening to Our Two Cents with the team from SGL Financial, building wealth for life. Steve Lewitt is the president of SGL Financial and Gabriel Lewitt is the CEO. They're here to discuss all the latest in financial news, trends, strategies, and more. Good morning, everybody. Gabriel here and Stephen Lewitt with our two cents at SGL Financial. Welcome to the show. Reason I'm chuckling here is because we had quite a lead in to our show here today, shooting the breeze. <laughs> I thought I'll share some of this with you I, we to kick things off uh, we before we get into we the specifics shooting, of the show. Wait, wait, wait. We weren't shooting the breeze. I was presenting to you a very creative new business idea that I have a gut feeling would be a home run, and you dissed it. I did not diss. I said I politely disagree. So, folks, we were talking about many things. Uh, we spent 15 minutes talking about the differences between simile, analogies, and metaphors. And so a quiz for you sitting in the audience is, do you know the difference between a simile, uh, analogy, and a metaphor? Yes. That, that, but that's, yes, that's really interesting. We also discussed some financial stuff, folks. <laughs> but, but we kind of got sidetracked like we're doing right now. Well, but, so we spent a good 10 minutes on that. And then, Steve, we were about to start the show and do our countdown with producer Katie. And she was about ready to roll. And she said, hold on, wait, wait, wait. I've got a great business idea yeah. that I've got to share with you. Yeah. And he prefaced it. He said, do you know why men don't get manicures? And I said, because are, are most we, men are, don't want manicures. Are reluctant, yes, yes. <laughs> and he well, said, I disagree with well, you. Well, I, I disagree, and I think I've got the best business idea ever. You want to share what it is? No, you share you, Okay, it. he wants to open I'm up not, a shop. I'm not giving up Elk my ideas. You he wants to it. open up a shop called Manicures. <laughs> Ma manicure, man I did like the name, actually. <laughs> it's for men. Imagine, folks, <laughs> imagine your spouse or friend or, who's <clears> a guy that doesn't, he, he, he'd like to have like nice nails and be treated nicely, but won't go to a beauty salon to ha sit with, you know, 12 other women while he's the only guy there having his to be intended to. So if you look at sports clips, Gabriel, Sports clips made a fortune on haircuts because they catered it to men with TVs and 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 uh, hold on, let me turn off my phone. Oh my goodness! Well, uh, you know, Steve, I guess I have to. Uh, I guess you got to retire, and I got to buy you out, <laughs> and uh, you can launch your new venture. No, I think it should be called SG. The holding company. <laughs> SGL should, Manicures. <laughs> the holding company will be SGL Financial. Folks, let us know your thoughts on this. If yes. you think Steve's on to something, a manicure place <clears throat> built for men. So send us a, send us a quick send us your vote at. <laughs> Info at sglfinancial.com if you're listening to the show. Uh, we'd be curious to aggregate your feedback on manicures. And Some people have no creativity. I, I just, it's, <clears throat> it's mind-boggling. Uh, manicures, <laughs> manicures for men. I can see the commercials now. It's fantastic. <laughs> all right. Let, all Get right, your craft I'm, beer at the same time. Exactly, something like that. 60, there are 10 beers on tap, one hot, for each hand. Hot, towel, hot towels, TVs with football on it, you know, and, and nice people. Rock and roll playing. Maybe a little metal. All right, we should get to the show. We should. All right, so good folks, morning. good morning, good morning. Or good, morning. Or good afternoon or good evening, depending yeah. on when you're listening. So we're going to talk to you about a couple different things here today. Uh, but to kick things off, we're going to talk about uh, something called 
capital market assumptions. Isn't that exciting sounding? Mm -hmm. So what are capital market assumptions? Well, these are forward-looking forecasts that are put out by most major investment firms and research firms. And what they're designed to do is they're designed to help you make assumptions in your long-term planning for the returns of various asset classes in the market. Well said. Okay. And now this is important because when you're running your financial plan and you put your account in there and you've got an account that's, uh, you know, X has X, Y, and Z in it, maybe U.S. stock or some U.S. bonds, you've got to put a forecast in there for how that asset class is going to perform. So the question is, what do you put in there? Do you put in the historical average? Do you put in whatever number you want it to see? Or do you put in something else? And that's where capital market assumptions tend to come into play. The goal is to give you a better looking, uh, more research-based forward-looking outlook that you can use to model your planning with. So <clears throat> if I may elaborate, <laughs> so, your, so your portfolio, if it's diversified, it has many different asset classes, but inside those asset classes, there are other components of it, like consumer durables, uh, uh, finan uh, uh, financial institutions, um, what else, Gabriel? Help me here. Uh, I'm running into a roadblock in my mind. Um, you know, uh, uh, healthcare. Yeah. All those those subclasses. Mm -hmm. So when you put those all together, that's how you have a, a diversified portfolio. And each one of those classes and subclasses needs a projection to it. Right. So if you're if you're looking to model what your entire portfolio is likely to perform at over the next five or 10 years, you've got to look at the sum of all the parts, right? Just like if you're, oh, I've got a good analogy here. If you're cooking your dish and you throw in a lot of different flavors, different ingredients will make it all taste differently because each ingredient adds its own flavor to create a blend of all the flavors. Yeah, so for example, domestic technology was mm -hmm. a very big play for a lot of people over the last 10 years. That's where all the money was really made. Mm -hmm. uh, and domestic technology, you know, things always change. Things go from first to last, or first to second, or third to first. So we don't know where domestic technology is going to end up, so we need projections. What does that class, what does, that, what does it do? Should I buy into it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and now, now we'll talk a little bit about how you use these in a second, but let's talk about what they are and what the numbers are showing. So. Uh, before I give you the current forecast, uh, going back to the start of 2022, uh, we look at these very periodically. In fact, I subscribe to a couple newsletters that send me uh, market assumptions every month. I find that to be a little bit overkill, uh, as if anyone can predict that accurately. So I like to look at them on a six-month basis. I like to look at them typically at the start of the year and then typically somewhere middle of the year. And uh, some new ones have just come out, so that's why this is coming and bubbling up to the surface. But at the start of this year, pretty much across the board, the consensus was the 10-year outlook on U.S. was in the 1% to 3% range, annualized, mm -hmm. okay? Bonds were in the also the 1% to 2% range, annualized. And uh, internationals were in the 5 to 6% range, uh, annualized, depending on the exact asset class type. So those were pretty dismal. <laughs> you know, looking at those at the start of this year, people were um, not super thrilled about that. But why were those the way they were? Well, people were valuing in the fact that at the start of this year, U.S. was overvalued. And we're starting to see why those projections 
they might be accurate. In fact, we did a, a, a back study on the accuracy of Vanguard is one of the big forecast companies that puts out their projections. They've been incredibly accurate with their predictions over the last 15, 20 plus years. And so what were people predicting at the start of this year? Well, if you have U.S. that's highly overvalued and you have bond rates at an ultra low place with inflation, they were modeling that inflation is likely to rise. U.S. is likely to drop. And both of those are starting to materialize as you're seeing that come to light here in 2022. Okay, so fast forward now and the market is down and interest rates have risen. So if you were to look today and start and, modeling your and, portfolio and inflation and inflation's still up, still up. Yep. Okay, but if 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 you're in your updating your plan and now you've got lower balances today, right? And you're trying to model your next 10 years worth of returns, what would you use? Are you asking me that? You're asking me to give you an answer? Well, I, I it could have either been a rhetorical question or you could chime in. It's up to you. <laughs> yeah, so uh, so I'm not quite clear what you're asking, but okay, there's, so there's, there's looking back, I have historical information. Let me can I clarify? Sure. Let's say you update your your values of your accounts are down today. Yeah, I had a million and now I have 800,000 800, or 850. Right. Now let's say you are managing your own financial plan. For, yes. for simplicity. I do it. I'm doing it myself. Yes. Okay. You now up. You go. You click into your spreadsheet, and now you're updating your forward-looking returns for your portfolio. What do you use today for a rate of return versus what you used six months ago when you had a million dollars? A million dollars, you had a different rate of return in your plan. Now today, you're at 850. Do you keep the same rate of return in your plan, or are you adjusting it? I, oh man, I'm still not sure what you're asking. <laughs> I, I know you're looking for a simple answer, but here's the deal: most people, when that are managing their own portfolios, Gabriel, when the when it goes down, they look in their portfolios. They say, then they say, what what what's going to be hot going forward? Where where should I switch this to? So, you know, well, I've been good in technology. Maybe I should stick with it. Or you know, oil stocks are really really high. I'm gonna. I'm going to trade this for, and I'm going to put a lot of money into oil stocks. And I don't think they think about it in terms of, you know, historical returns for portfolio and diversification or forward-looking returns based on current economic. Uh, I don't think it's quite that sophisticated, frankly. Yeah, well, um, I, I think you're overcomplicating what I was <laughs> trying to get to for a point. We're off to a great start today. <laughs> we are. Well, all I was saying is if you're starting from a much lower point yes, because the markets have already been down, then at this exact point, your return over the next 10 years is likely to be different than it would have been if you were modeling a return before the market dropped. Okay. So if you're, if, so now I think I'm getting your question. I'm starting to understand. So if my, if my portfolio is low now and I think the market is down, well, we know it is down. It's yeah, not. It's but not it, we think it's down. It's well, down. It could go further, but but I'm still at a low point, so it's going to recover. So I'm going to have a higher return starting today than when I projected it six months ago. Yes, yes, exactly. And this is my point. There was this is what the forecasters and the researchers at the big institutions like Morningstar, Vanguard, and many others that we're going to talk about. Here, this is why they're readjusting now their ten-year forward-looking returns. They're they're readjusting them based on what it is as of today. Okay, so when you're looking at different forward-looking returns analysis, 
you've got to count into the fact that those are being made based on current market conditions. I think that's a great point. Now I really understand what you were what you were trying to explain to me that I couldn't understand. So what you're saying is when the mo- the level of the market at the time of the prediction will change the prediction. If the market is really high, I'm going to have a lower prediction going forward. But the, you know, if I'm coming out of 2008 and the market's really low, I'm going to say, wow, this is going to recover and I'm going to have a higher prediction. Yeah. So, and I'll try to just re-clarify it one other way. If you had money in cash that you were going to invest in January, right, when markets were high and interest rates were low, there was a much lower anticipated forward-looking return. Now, right. if you're investing money in cash today, right, markets are low, interest rates are high, there's a different forward-looking outlook based on the changes in the macroeconomic and, and global environment and the factors here. Okay. Okay. So, okay, I'll, I'm going to let you get to the main point of the point. Well, I wanted to explain the concept here first because I'm going to give you the numbers Okay, so BlackRock, for example, is one of the big research firms. Morningstar is another big research firm. Uh, Vanguard is another one that's actually not on this list, but I was just looking at it the other day. And then there's another company called Research Affiliates. And the, uh, the summary here is all of them are a little bit different, but they're all generally pretty close with their capital market assumptions. Mm-hmm. And so as an example, based on today, the 10-year expected forecast for, uh, from BlackRock for U.S. equities as of today, okay, would be 7.1%, okay? Uh, Morningstar says 5.8%, and then Research Affiliates says 6.3%, and I don't have it in front of me, but I believe Vanguard had adjusted theirs to actually more like uh, 4%-ish. It went up a little bit. Now, there's different classes of U.S. equities, okay? I think this is very important. You were mentioning this earlier about some sectors or individual subclasses. So U.S. growth, if we get more specific, is actually still anticipated to be much lower than uh, U.S. large, okay? And that's because growth stocks have been, you know, look at Facebook. You know, some of the, the declines that we've seen in some of these growth stocks are substantial, and so all those get factored in, the pricing, the valuations, the price-to-earnings ratio, all these are getting factored into the capital market assumptions that we see. So what does that mean? It means, you know, uh, it means one thing, okay, it means that we, we can have a sense that as of today we're going to get a little bit higher returns than we would have gotten six months ago. That makes sense because we, we're skipping the 20% decline and starting at a lower point, right, with yes. our assumptions. Now, we also can compare that to other asset classes. So, for example, BlackRock thinks that developed markets, equities, okay, uh, is about 8.3% over the next 10 years. Morningstar thinks about 8.8% for developed markets, and Research Affiliates thinks about 11.8%, very optimistic. And then Vanguard, which, again, I don't have in front of me, but I believe is around 7% uh, range for international equities. Okay. Yeah, so let's be clear. A developed market is like European, uh, things coming out of Europe. E- e- yes, your more modern economy is right. correct, not your uh, not what's called your emerging market. Which That's a separate a, asset Like class. China, even though it's not emerging, but it's considered in the emerging market. E- well, so uh, I'd have to, I actually don't, I should know that, but I don't know if 100% of China is considered emerging markets or developed market. But um, the idea here is that internationals, if we compare them to U.S., are still forecasting at a higher projected rate of return. Which is 
a shift in what happened over the last 10 years. Yes. Now, I had a conversation with a client who is uh, very familiar, does a lot of traveling, very familiar with Europe and emerging market markets, who is very negative on the, on the so no, no, international is terrible, it's awful, it's going to be bad, it's, you know, I, I, you know I, I, would, I don't want any in my portfolio, or I only want 15, 20% in my portfolio. And, you know, is she right or wrong? And, and the fact that we don't know. Well, the, the quick answer would be that that's the form of market timing. Exactly. Okay. Yep. Now, if you go back decade by decade, it's very interesting. In fact, we've got a great uh, report that we can send to you if you're interested. That times a decade by decade game. So if you look in the 2010 to 2020 decade, guess who won that game? You should know. Um, <laughs> US, pretty, US. Pretty, yes, by, you know, by a good chunk, right? We had clients saying, hey, Gabe, Steve, why in the world do we have internationals in our portfolio? Look how great the U.S. is doing. Yep. And we'll circle back to that. But the prior decade, 2000 to 2010, what was the winner? Absolutely international. International, big okay. time. US, that was the lost decade for U.S. stocks. I think this is really important that we look back and remember this. Between 2000 and 2013. Mm -hmm. All right, that's 13 years. The S&P started, I don't remember what level, but it ended at the same level yeah. for those 13 years. Now, th the decade prior to that, guess who won? U.S. tech. That was, U the, that was the tech bubble. <laughs> U.S. won that, that decade. The, the tech bubble that burst in yep, In the 90s, yep. yep. So the 90s decade, U.S. won. Guess who won the 80s decade? Uh, let me see. Had to be international. International, correct. Yes. So, are you are you sensing a theme here? International wins, then U.S. wins. International wins, then U.S. wins. Now, I'm not pr prognosticating the future, but one would also argue that sets up a good next decade for internationals. But what's really happening here is valuations of U.S. get high. And then the market crashes or declines or there's a bear market. It gets back to low attractive levels again. Very cyclical. Well, that's also happening in reverse for internationals. In our portfolios, of course, we try not to time this. We, we build a all-weather portfolio that you know, has everything we well, need in it. Well, here's the question, Gabriel. Because what you're saying, if I'm listening to you, you what you're saying is, oh, well, we should go to we – we, now we should switch hmm. – to international. You're, let's sell all U.S. and switch let, international, let's, let's, right? Let's go and do that. Why wouldn't I do that? Well, your market history is, a, is helpful, but it's also not guaranteed, right? And just like the weather forecast says it's going um, to be partly cloudy today with a good chance of sunshine, only a 10% chance of rain. Uh, and you're going on a long hike. I mean, you could not bring an umbrella, but if you're really being prepared... Maybe you'd pack an umbrella, too, just to be on the safe side, right? Or is it partly cloudy or partly sunny? Yeah, you know, the, the idea is we can, we can certainly make predictions based on historical data, but it's not guaranteed. And, so and how do we know when to make that mm -hmm. shift? When yes. do you make the shift? Exactly. So, so, folks, the way, you know, portfolio allocations are built are, are done via a lot of research, uh, forward allocations, historic allocations. Now, the neatest part about all this, if we're thinking about a portfolio allocation, is historically speaking – a diversified portfolio of U.S. and international, where you don't try to time it, has always long-term outperformed, okay, a, a pure U.S.-based portfolio. So what you're saying, Gabriel, is that in a diversified portfolio, 
there's always going to be winners and losers, mm-hmm. right? Because I have everything. I have international, I have emerging markets, I have U.S., I have tech, I've got all the different sectors in there, and some are going to do better and some are going to do worse. Yep. Uh, but what we don't know is when the worst becomes better and the better becomes worse. Correct. So we need them all in there. Yeah. And so that, And that's over time, that's how these portfolios win over somebody that sticks with one major asset class. Yeah, or tries to time, right? You know, your, your client that says, hey, I only want 20% internationals. Look, one of two things is going to happen. She's going to be right and she'll be slightly ahead or she's going to be wrong and she's going to be slightly behind. So now I have to add one piece onto this, which sure. I, I think is very important. So in our portfolios and in a well-managed portfolio, let's say we have a diversified portfolio with all of this in there, international and so on. Now, U.S. really grows and international lags. Mm-hmm. Now, in, now U.S. becomes over-allocated, in, has too big of a percentage of that portfolio. So in a well-managed ba- portfolio, there's going to be a, a balancing of that portfolio. So if, if it's out of whack, we're going to sell U.S. and buy the international when it's low to rebalance the portfolio. So in a well-managed portfolio, rebalancing always has you selling high and buying something low, which takes advantage of the, of the, re, uh, of the, uh, of the low uh, sector or the low asset class coming back and growing in the future. Yeah, yeah so rebalancing is important as well. And uh, definitely a key component. One last thing about the... That was hard. <laughs> the, that, that, that was hard to get out. Yeah. Uh, one other forward-looking assumption here, and if you want this report, uh, I'm happy to send it to you. Uh, U.S. bonds. Okay, now interest rates have risen. So what are bonds likely to do? Well, BlackRock thinks the 10-year t- forecast is around 3%. Uh, Morningstar thinks about 36 Research affiliates thinks about 3.8 and Vanguard was in about the 3% range. Also subclasses of bonds, right? You got intermediate, short terms, high yields, corporate. Okay, lots of, but just on the aggregate of U.S. bonds, that's what's being projected. So what does that mean for, for you today? Should you, uh, I just read an article this morning about a big bond fund manager that uh, no surprise was saying, hey, this is the best time to sell sell all your stocks and just buy and bonds. Buy bonds, right? <laughs> and it's like, really? Well, of course, that's market time. Don't sell all your stocks and buy bonds. And he manages a bond fund. And he does manage a bond fund, a little bias there. But um, it is interesting to see that even though interest rates have risen, the, the four looking outlook look on bonds is still is still subdued okay it's you know possibly being factored in there is also the likelihood if you run out and buy bonds today what might still happen in the next year rising interest rates exactly. okay so so you might lose a little in the short term just to gain some higher yields in the long term so all of this is to say guys uh, when you run your projections or when we run them for you there's a method to the madness it's not just arbitrarily plugged in there and it's helpful sometimes to see the research that's out there from big investment research firms. What I like to do is I like to look at the aggregate of all the big investment research firms to come up with some level of consensus of what's out there. I find that to be the most helpful for me. It, it is helpful, Gabriel, but the truth is nobody knows what's going to happen in the future. You know, when you aggregate, you got people and you got folks in there that are saying, you know, international is going to be horrible. And then you have folks in there that are using the same data looking at the same picture, that come out with a totally different conclusion. Mm-hmm. So, I, I don't know about you. I don't know who's right or wrong. You don't know who's right or wrong. And they don't know who's yeah. right or wrong, which is why 
we showed folks a while back that we had two two head honchos at Morgan Stanley that had two totally different <laughs> predictions for the market. Yeah, no, th- that was funny. I remember the. Uh, I think there was also another one with Chase where the the CEO came out one day and said the market is terrible. It's going to crash the same day. His, the same day his head investment researcher came out and said yeah, it's going to go up. And this it was is like, great. Yeah. All right, all right. Thanks for the clarity. <laughs> All right. So, folks, um, if you have questions on that, I know that's a little technical, but uh, we, we sometimes focus on bigger picture planning items. We, we thought it'd be good to dive into some uh, specifics on investment uh, portfolio uh, assumptions, capital market assumptions going forward. If you have questions, give us a call, 847-499-3330, or email us, info at sglfinancial.com, and let us know your questions, and we'll answer them on one of our upcoming shows. Okay, so how about a little less technical of a topic? Shoo, my, my, my brain is tired. Well, hopefully uh, we didn't uh, wear you guys out out there. So we wanted to talk about, um, the title of our segment here is, uh, <laughs> Can You Get Any Satisfaction? <laughs> wasn't wasn't there a song, you, we were joking earlier, wasn't there some song, uh, yeah, Rolling Stones? Yeah, it was the Rolling Stone. I can't get no satisfaction. Something Golden like Pipes over here, so, guys. No, I don't know. I don't know if that's the right tune, but it's close. Um, well, so can you get any satisfaction in your planning? That's the question at hand. And we're going to look at some things that we are aiming for from a non-technical, non-numbers perspective. And we'll talk a little bit about how you get these. Okay, so what are some of the elements of satisfaction? Well, one of them is, uh, I say this word a lot because it's one of my favorites, uh, the core of what we do, Dad. We're planners, as you know. What are we trying to uh, provide to people when we build them a plan? Well, this is the core of what we do, is that money is money, but life is much more important than money. And all decisions, this is my philosophy, is all decisions we make are to give us more peace of mind. Yes. Number one thing that I say all the time is, hey, look, folks, we're planners, uh, we're money managers, we're tax advisors, but you know what we're here to do? We're here to give you peace of mind. And so that's that's really important. Dad. Do you, you know, I think the question, folks, is if you're out there, ask yourself this right now. Um, do I feel with everything going on right now, that I have peace. Finan- financially. Well. We can't get into yes. other things. <laughs> Let's not. Uh, <laughs> uh, that reminds me, actually, I, I had someone call me the other day, and uh, they spent the first, I, I said, hey, what would make this a, a good call for you, and how can I help? And he, uh, they spent the first uh, 10 minutes of the call saying, well, you know, I, I am a little worried about, um, what was it, uh, <clears throat> Uh, grocery store uh, supply chains, and I'm a little worried about there's the war going on, and then I'm really worried about uh, um, the digital dollar that might be being built, and then the government's going to come in and take away the digital dollar, and, you know, you've got the the border thing going on down there. And he he went on for 10 minutes about all the problems that he saw in the country, and I I said, uh, those are, those that's a lot, you know, a lot must be weighing on your mind. Now, is this impacting you financially? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And then we started talking about his his portfolio. But, um, but yes, to your point, there's a lot going on out there in the world that can be stressful and concerning and everyone's got their own particulars of what's what. But uh, do you have peace of mind regarding your portfolio and your plan and your financial plan? So what that means, peace of mind, what do you have? So let's look at the opposite of that. 
what does it mean not to have peace of mind? So if you have, if you worry, if you're nervous, if you have anxiety. Unsure. Unsure. If you argue over money. Mm-hmm. All of those are elements that indicators. cause indicators, indicators of, yeah. no, I really don't have peace of mind about this. Yeah, and I think it could be as simple as you just said, you know, no, I, I don't have 100% peace of mind. I am a little worried about this. Yeah. And the goal, folks, it may not be realistic, but is to truly not be, really, right? Where you can look at your plan and say, huh, I'm not worried. How well, cool is that? Well, what we find, uh, look, we have the evidence. You know, we're financial planners. We have the evidence. And I don't, you know, our clients come into us, Gabriel, and they, and I love this. This is why I keep doing this. They say, thank you for giving me peace of mind about my money. And yeah. to me, that's yeah. like, that's what it's all it about. It is. It is number one thing we're looking to build. Now, another element of satisfaction, we want to get you some satisfaction, right? is uh, the ability for you, Steve, you love this one, a, uh, the license to spend. Oh, I love this. Yeah. Right? We're going to do, do a show. <laughs> Gabriel, Katie, we're going to do a show that talks about um, you need to spend more in retirement. <laughs> well, of course, one of the things that causes people a lack of peace of mind is feeling like they can't spend. Okay, and oh, I can't buy this. I got to well, pinch always, my belt here. They're, they're gotta, looking over their shoulder. They yeah. go out for dinner, and it's a $200 bill, and they don't enjoy it because they're saying to themselves, gee, can I really afford that? Yeah, yeah. You know? Well, it's funny. You know how always on the show we're talking about uh, we want to get it so you can buy first-class tickets, right, yeah, in you your retirement? Fly, you should fly, fly first, first class. Fly first I ha- class. Well, I had a client the other day say, I listened to your podcast, and I really, uh, I would really like, I liked that idea, the buying first. I would never buy myself first-class tickets. And then we went through her plan, and we started talking about a big trip that she had coming up. And I said, guess what, Jane? And her name wasn't Jane. She said, what? I said, you can buy a first-class ticket for this. She's like, are you sure? Are you sure? <laughs> I was like, yes, I'm 100% sure. And and even then, knowing that it fits into the budget, people still Well, she, she looked at me. She said, you know what? I think I might. Yeah. And I said, that's great. You should. Treat yourself well, just, you like, know, just like a man would if he had a good manager. I had another client the to. other day that uh, finally called me up and said, I, I, the stock I've been, you've been telling me I should sell for a while, uh, I'm going to finally sell some of it and, and spend it. I'm going to go on a, a big European trip, and I'm going to contribute to my uh, son's wedding, and I'm going to do this and that. And I said, I said his name, I'll say Joe. You know, it wasn't Joe. Joe, that's great. I'm excited for you. Yeah, you should. And so that's the idea, right? This uh, this peace of mind, this confidence that comes with spending is another key level of building satisfaction with your money. Satisfaction is really hard to get. Mm-hmm. I, I think it. There, are, you know, we get it and then we lose it and we get it and we lose it. But what I love about what we do, and I know I'm tooting our own horn here, but when people have a plan, and it's always, and they have someone to go to that adjusts it when things come up and stuff like that. They have more peace of mind. Yeah, I, I mean, it's just amazing. At least we help those folks with that part of their psychological life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I want to give one last uh, element of satisfaction. So we're going to change it from "Can't Get No Satisfaction" to "You Got Oodles of Satisfaction." That's the new song title. Okay, I got oodles of satisfaction. Well, independence is another key component, right? Uh, feeling like you don't have to be a burden on somebody, feeling like you're able to take care of yourself, feeling like you've got the autonomy to run and control your own life. And that most of the time in retirement manifests itself with 
uh, long-term care and health care planning. But also when you're in your working years, it's financial independence, feeling like, oh, I've got control over my career, over my job, over my uh, my retirement timeline. I don't, I'm not slave to the system uh, that's making me money. I've got independence. So I think this is another big factor we're looking to build for you where you feel you've got that financial independence. It's empowering. You know, mm-hmm. it, it makes you feel like, hey, I, I'm in control uh, in a healthy way. You know, so it's very empowering. You, you know, in, hi- in uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, what, what he's talking about is if you don't have your finances in order, if, you, if you're not feeling safe, which is what finances are all about, that affects all the higher level things of satisfaction all the way up to love. Mm. It says if, if you don't have financial security and feel safe in the world, then that's going to affect everything else above that, including uh, your ability to love or receive love. Yeah. Well, so, so that's really actually, uh, Producer Katie, if you could take a note about the Maslow's hierarchy of need, that's, that would be a great topic for a future show because yeah, I'd like to, ex- like to explain that more, but we're running up against our, our time deadline here for you all. We try to stick to around 30 minutes for our show. Um, so I'd love to circle back on that, Dad. That's a great uh, point. I love that uh, concept of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, and we'll explain that on maybe even our next episode. Yeah, we might. Uh, I, would um, li- I would like to circle back on that when we circle back on my success in the manicure business. The, the manicure business. Yes. We, folks, okay, let's put a bow on our episode here. We've got some homework for you on the show, you listeners of ours that we love. Uh, we'd love for you to email us, info at sglfinancial.com, and tell us what you think of Steve's manicures idea. That's number one. Man- manicures. Man- manicures. Man- manicures. Manicures for men. for men. Okay. Expertly groomed by Steve. I'm going to take a course. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to take a course. <laughs> um, number two, if you have uh, any concerns at all about your satisfaction, your peace of mind, your confidence of spending, your financial independence, call us or email us. Our phone number is 847-499-3330 or email us info at sglfinancial.com and let us get you the satisfaction that right. you so much deserve. And if you're, if you think manicures would add to satisfaction, <laughs> let us know here, folks. I think I'm new be, perk. I think if you're an SGL financial client, you get free manicures, manicures at the new un, 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 <laughs> unbuilt manicures locations. <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks for joining into our show today. We appreciate having you here. Make sure you share with your friends. Hit the forward button. Uh, send it off to them. Uh, we love having new people join into the show. And uh, have a great week. We'll talk to you next time. Stay well, everybody. Thanks for listening to Our Two Cents with Steve and Gabriel Lewitt. For any questions about your finances, give SGL a call at 847-499-3330 or visit us on the web at sglfinancial.com. And be sure to subscribe to join us on next week's episode. Investment advisory services are offered through SGL Financial LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Insurance and other financial products are offered separately through individually licensed and appointed agents.